Welcome to Ag Matters, a podcast where we talk about both matters of agriculture and why agriculture matters. Here's your host, Dr. Amanda Stone, Mississippi State University Assistant Professor and Extension Dairy Specialist. This is Dr. Amanda Stone, and today we will be talking about the poultry industry. So could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Okay, I'm Dr. Tom Tabler. I'm in the poultry science department. I'm extension professor over in poultry science. Uh, Background-wise, you know, whenever I first got out of college, all my degrees are from Arkansas. I serviced chickens in Arkansas for five years. I grew birds on my family's farm, commercial birds, for five years. Uh, Before I went back into academia, I spent 21 years with the poultry science department at the University of Arkansas before coming here about seven years ago now. Most of what I do is, is on the commercial side of the industry, Amanda. We have also Jessica Wells, who's a, another extension person in our department. Jessica handles a lot of the, the backyard 4-H FFA youth projects, and I do a lot of the commercial side of the industry. Okay, awesome. We're happy to have you. I appreciate you coming in. Thank um, you. So could you tell me a little bit about what the poultry industry looks like in Mississippi or just everywhere? Well, especially in Mississippi. Let's talk about Mississippi first. It's it's very large in the state of Mississippi. We are the we are the number five poultry production state in the country. Oh wow. And we have roughly, you know, three billion dollars worth of income generated from the poultry industry. Of of all the agricultural commodities, it's the largest agricultural commodity year in, year out. Forestry is always second, uh-huh. and then some of the row crops fight it out for third, fourth, uh-huh. and fifth, usually cotton, corn, and, and soybeans fight it out in one of those three positions. But year in, year out, I guess, you know, for over 20 years now, the poultry's been the largest single agricultural commodity within the state. And there are different types of poultry houses, There right? are different types of birds. There, most of what's in Mississippi is broiler production. There are six different companies, national companies, that do business in the state of Mississippi that are broiler industries. But we also have Calmaine Foods headquartered here in Mississippi. And Calmaine is the largest table egg producing company in the country. They don't have a huge number of birds here. They do have a complex down at Edwards where they've probably got maybe in the range of 3 million layers on that operation. They have a lot of birds in other states as well, mainly in the southeast. But by far, Calmaine is the largest table egg producer. Table egg birds and meat-type birds are two different things. Uh, On the the table egg side, you know, probably Highline W36s is what most folks use as table egg birds, eggs that you go to the grocery store and buy, those eggs are not fertile. If you was to take those eggs home and try to hatch them, they would not hatch because there are no roosters with birds in a table egg facility. In a broader production facility, it's a little bit different. They're meat type birds. There's two main genetic companies that control nearly all of the genetic stock on the meat side bird anymore, either Avigen or Cobb. And both of those companies have birds in the state of Mississippi. Some of the integrators here use avigen birds. Some of the integrators here use cob birds. But again, genetics are totally different. Meat-type birds are basically bred 
to produce a lot of meat, especially a lot of breast meat yield. It's what everybody seems to want Mm -hmm. in this country. So white meat is what everybody likes. In different parts of the world, they like a lot of dark meat. So we export a lot of dark meat from the state of Mississippi and from U.S. in general because the U.S. is more of a white meat type country than what they are a dark meat type country. But again, Mm -hmm. genetics are different. If you're looking at the table egg side of things, those birds are basically designed, bred genetically, to produce a lot of eggs. They don't get fat. They don't get meaty like a, like a broiler chicken will mm-hmm. because they're not designed to do that. They're designed to lay eggs. So depending on who the company is and what they're looking for and what their markets are, there's genetic stock. Yeah, they're all chickens, but they're really not all chickens. You mm-hmm. have to tailor it to whatever your industry is trying to support. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the poultry industry is similar to the rest of the livestock industries that we've talked about on the podcast so far, that the efficiency and, I guess, um, motivators for improving on um, how large they grow and how quickly they grow is, has been changing. So is it It has efficient? been, especially on the genetic side, you know, the 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 genetic folks, you know, let's talk broiler type birds again, because again, that's what Mississippi mainly grows. But the folks at Cobb, the folks at Avigen, their geneticists have been able to do remarkable things over the last 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, in terms of how well they get birds to grow and how well they get birds to convert feed to meat. The The big gains that have been made have been made a lot more on the genetic side than on the feed side because basically Mm -hmm. corn is corn and soybeans are soybeans. You can make good feed, and you have to make good feed to grow good chickens, but the the big gains in terms of production, how fast those birds grow, how soon they reach market weight, at whatever weight that happens to be, and again, this state grows basically two sizes of birds. There's a couple of companies that grow smaller birds that may be in the four to four and a half pound range at market size. The other four companies grow larger birds that may be in the eight to nine, nine and a half pound range whenever they are sold. And again, it depends on who those customers are that those companies are growing birds for. Some of them want smaller birds. Some of them want larger birds. Most of the larger birds are are deboned and everything is further processed into something like patties, nuggets, breast strips, something Uh that commands a higher price at the store. So again, all the companies in Mississippi that grow broilers are growing them to the specifications that their customers are asking for. Mm -hmm. How long would it take to get from a chick to... If we're looking at smaller birds, you know, from hatch until the time they go to market at four and a half pounds, we may be looking at 32 to 35 days. If we're looking at larger birds, that may be nine, nine and a half, 975, we may be looking at 60 to 63 days. That's amazing. Yeah. And so along with the pressure to become more efficient, which, uh, like I mentioned, all the livestock industries have been facing, there's also antibiotic pressure, right? That the poultry Right now, there's a lot of antibiotic pressure. Uh, Most companies, at least to some extent, are growing a certain portion of their production in a no antibiotics ever market because, again, their customers are asking for a product that they can tell their customers that, yes, this product is a no antibiotic ever product. 
Again, most companies do not have all of their production dedicated to that because, again, chickens get sick. And, mm-hmm. and poultry veterinarians that work for poultry companies, you know, they have an issue with not treating birds that get sick because veterinarians basically take an oath saying they're going to try to relieve animal suffering. And if that animal gets sick and there's products out there that can get that animal well, it's, in, at least in my opinion and the opinion of a lot of veterinarians, it's foolish to let an animal suffer when there's something Mm -hmm. out there that can relieve that suffering. So most companies set it up to where they have a dedicated portion of their production that, yes, is going to an NAE market to where they can say, yes, we have a product that is grown, no antibiotics ever. But again, just like people, just like cattle, just like hogs, chickens get sick sometimes. Mm -hmm. And again, if that bird is dedicated for an NAE market and it gets sick, they can move that bird out of the NAE market and put it over in a different market segment and treat that bird and get it well again. So mm-hmm. again, chicken companies have to juggle what their production is, how much of it goes one way, how much of it goes another way, and find themselves an outlet that if chickens do get sick, we're not going to let animals be suffering when we've got something that can treat that animal and get mm-hmm. it well again. Of course. Yeah, we don't want them to be suffering. Um, is that similar to other countries, that system? Well, to some extent, it's a little bit different in the U.S. and a little bit different in Europe in how anacoccidials or ionophores are considered. You know, ionophores basically have no purpose in human medicine. Mm-hmm. But in, in Europe, they are not considered as an antibiotic and the folks in Europe can still use ionophores to treat things like coccidiosis, which coccidiosis is a very common disease. It's a very troublesome disease in the chicken world. Right now in the U.S., coccidiosis and necrotic enteritis are probably the two biggest diseases that the chicken industry fights. problem with that being is that in the U.S., based on the way the rules and the regulations are set up, Ionophores are considered antibiotics in this country, and folks that are growing birds in an, in an NAE program cannot use ionophores and remain in that program. Mm-hmm. So it makes it a little bit difficult because a lot of companies are vaccinating for coccidiosis these days, and if the vaccine does what it's supposed to, after about 14, 15 days, it's probably going to give those chickens a light dose of coccidiosis mm-hmm. to make the vaccine kick in. Unless management is really, really stellar and is really, really good and there's no stress put on those chickens, a lot of times that coccidiosis at 14 or 15 days may be necrotic enteritis by 18, 19, 20 days and mortality will go up. Okay. So again, one, one of the big issues with trying to grow NAE birds is that what was clean before we got in an NAE program and what was clean after we got an NAE program are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. We may have thought we had clean hatcheries, clean eggs, everything was going fine, and then we switched to an NAE program, and we learned that what we thought was clean is really not clean. And, and it, it basically requires everyone, not just the companies, but mm-hmm. the growers as well, and not just broader growers. It's also pullet growers, breeder growers, the hatchery, the feed mill, everything has got to be cleaner to live in an NAE world and make that NAE world work. And, mm-hmm. and in the beginning, when you first initially switch, 
a lot of times that learning curve is pretty steep. Companies that have been doing it for a long time have kind of got it figured out. Companies that are just now getting into it are still trying to figure out that clean before and clean after are two different things, and we've got mm-hmm. to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. When the companies are are the ones who are telling the producers or contracting the producers on what they need to be doing, which is a little bit different than the other industries we've talked about. So the structure of ownership or um, I guess just the structure in, in general of poultry farming is, is different. Can you talk on that a little bit? Yeah, it is a little bit different in, in growing commercial birds than what it is in growing beef cattle or dairy cattle or something like that. To, to some degree, the swine industry is a little bit like the poultry industry in that it's what's called vertical integration in that the company basically owns the hatchery where the baby chicks are hatched, the feed mill that manufactures all those feed that's going to raise those chickens, the processing plant where those chickens will be processed whenever they reach market age. company owns all of those things, and the company supplies someone to come around to your farm if you're a commercial grower and check on your flock usually once a week to make sure that everything's going okay. Maybe once a week, maybe twice a week, depending on who the integrator is, but they've furnished someone with technical expertise that can come around to your farm, check on your chickens, check on you to make sure that everything's going all right, that you don't have any questions. The grower on the farm, they own their own farm, they build their own houses, they borrow the money, they build the houses, they're responsible for what goes on in those houses. So if a fan motor burns out or a feed line motor burns out, it's the grower's responsibility to pay for that. So the grower provides the land, the facilities, the labor, pays all the utilities, the company provides the chicks. Ownership does not change hands. The chicks still belong to the company, but they bring them to all of these individual contract growers Mm -hmm. for that grower to raise for four weeks, five weeks, nine weeks, however long they're going to keep those chickens in the house. Ownership stays with the company. The company provides all the feed. Growers do not have to buy feed. The companies provide the feed. The companies provide for transporting those flocks from the house to the processing plant whenever they get ready to go to harvest. And the company provides all the, the marketing for those chickens. So growers don't have to find a market mm-hmm. for their product. Company sells all the birds themselves. They move the product around. You know, birds that leave a processing plant here in Mississippi, they may be going to the West Coast. They may be going to the East Coast. But companies handle all that. They handle the marketing. Mm-hmm. They provide the chicks to feed and someone to check on them. Again, the grower provides the facilities, the land, the houses set on, builds the houses, pays mm-hmm. all the bills. And the laying hens are a similar situation? It's a little bit different situation in the laying bird situation. So like, say, Calmaine, they do not contract out with growers like the broiler production industry does. Mm-hmm. Usually chicken companies that are doing table eggs they own all that stock, they own the facilities, they own the land, they build the houses, and they're responsible for all that. So again, even though they're both chickens, it's two different worlds between Mm -hmm. the table egg world and the meat type bird world. Okay. Can you talk about the differences between them for facilities? Like where are these animals living? In terms of housing, Houses are are bigger and wider today than what they used to be. You know, when I first got out of college, a 32 by 300 foot house was a big house, 32 feet wide, 300 feet long. That was a big chicken house. Mm -hmm. And a grower might have 
two houses, maybe three on that farm. Today, houses may be 50 feet wide, 500 or 600 feet long, mm. and there may be six to eight houses on that farm. So again, it's like a lot of other agricultural entities. Over the years, farms have gotten fewer and fewer in number, but the farms that are there have usually gotten bigger. So again, it may cost, you know, today if a grower was to borrow the money to build a six-house farm, let's say, they mm -hmm. may have two and a half to three and a half million dollars invested in those six chicken houses. It's not, it's not a cheap business to get into. Mm -hmm. So again, in terms of housing, the houses have gotten more sophisticated over the years in terms of what it has the capability to do. Today, nearly everything is solid sidewall, nearly everything is tunnel ventilated, so it's got cool cells on one end to keep the chickens cool in the summer. It's got big tunnel fans on the other end to pull enough airflow through those houses, again, to help keep those chickens alive in hot weather to keep all the heat pulled out of the house. Wintertime is, is, a, is a different setup in that the same fans and the same inlets still let air into the house, still move air, but you don't have to move as much air in the wintertime as what you do in the summer. Mm -hmm. So the, the house is designed to do basically, it's one house, but it can do two things. It can, it can take care of summertime conditions. It can take care of wintertime conditions. Again, all of these houses have some type of automatic controller on that house that whoever you're growing chickens for, whatever company that may be, that company will bring a program to your farm and either you can install it in that controller, your service tech can install it in that controller, and then that controller takes care of a lot of the things inside the chicken house. It turns the fans on and off when they mm -hmm. need to be on and off. It turns the heat on and off when it needs to be on and off. It controls the air vents. It controls the cool cells. Puts water over the cool cell when it needs water. Turns water off when it doesn't need water. So the controller is a, is a very, very sophisticated piece of equipment on a chicken house anymore mm -hmm. that was not there, you know, 20, 30 years ago. And right. again, it, it frees up and allows the grower to spend more time with their chickens. And good growers spend a lot of time with their chickens. You mm -hmm. cannot rely on that controller to grow the chickens for you. If you're going to do a good job raising chickens, you have to be in the chicken mm -hmm. house. You have to watch those birds. You have to know when they're happy. Yeah, the controller's got a program in it, but that program is for one general set of circumstances. Mm -hmm. And each flock of chickens is a little bit different. Each house of chickens on each farm is a little bit different. This house may like 92 degrees start temperature for baby chickens, mm -hmm. but the next house over, those chickens might seem uncomfortable at 92. They might oh. seem too hot or too cold. They might rather be at 90 or mm -hmm. they might rather be at 94. Once you've grown chickens for a while, those chickens can tell you a lot of stuff if you know what to look for. Mm -hmm. And good growers learn what to look for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always tell producers that cows always tell the truth, right? When we're walking through pens, whatever the yep. producer says might be their perspective of it, right? But cows will never tell a lie. So we just need to look at them and listen yep, to them. You and do, because yeah. every situation is different. And mm -hmm. it's that way on a chicken farm too. That's awesome. And we have how many houses here in Mississippi? Do you know? Uh, there's roughly, I don't know whether there's an actual count okay that that I can tell you there's mm -hmm. roughly 1700 commercial growers in the state of Mississippi that okay. are growing 
broiler chickens. Now, some of these farms might have two houses on them. Some of them might have four. Some might uh-huh. have eight. Some might have 12. Every grower is a little bit different in terms of how many houses they may have on that farm. Mm-hmm. But regardless of how many they have on that farm, they're going to get chickens basically in, in all of those houses all at the same time. Now, mm-hmm. if they've got a 10 or 12 house farm, they might get some today and some tomorrow. But you're not going to have a poultry farm that has two-week-old chickens in one house and eight-week-old chickens in the other house. Poultry industry is kind of considered all-in, all-out production. It works a lot better that way in in managing disease and managing how the grower can take care of that farm if they get them all at the same time and they get rid of them all at the same time. Again, if Mm. you've got a 10-house or a 12-house farm, it comes time to catch. They might catch four houses today, six mm-hmm. houses tomorrow, something like that. But you're you're basically going to be all in and all out. You will not have multiple age birds on the same farm. Again, that's a disease issue. That's mm-hmm. a biosecurity issue. And biosecurity has become a huge deal in the poultry industry since back in 2014, 2015, when we had the, the avian influenza outbreak in the Midwest. Uh-huh. Companies are a lot more strict on how, you know, biosecurity practices are are in place and what growers should do. You know, most most every company has foot baths that that their service tech walk through, that the growers walk through at entrance doors to chicken houses anymore Mm -hmm. to try to keep the disease challenge out of that house. In most cases, you know, a disease is not going to magically appear in a chicken house. It's Mm going to have to be put there somehow. And in most cases, a lot of people track it in from outside, not Uh necessarily knowing that they're tracking something in. Mm -hmm. But avian influenza, for instance, can be carried in the the nasal secretions of wild ducks and geese that fly over your farm. It can be in the manure that those wild ducks and geese may drop on your farm. And if you walk through manure outside between house one and house two, let's say, and you Mm -hmm. track that manure into either house one or house two, that manure falls off your boots. The chickens begin to peck in that like chickens do. They can basically infect themselves that way with avid influenza. So, again, biosecurity is a huge issue in terms of how we manage things. Yeah, well, and especially for the service providers or service technicians, I guess, because they're going from farm to farm. Yeah, because they move from farm to farm. So they change biosecurity suits, they change boots, they change hairnets, they change gloves, Mm -hmm. not only from farm to farm, but even on the same farm. If there's multiple houses on that farm, they will double boot up whenever they go from one house to another house. They do not wear the same set of boots from one house to another house. They double boot up at the door Mm -hmm. of that specific chicken house as they step inside, again, just as a biosecurity precaution that they're not tracking something somewhere or another. And when I travel, I basically do the same thing. I've got a three-gallon sprayer of disinfectant in Mm -hmm. the rig that I travel in. I've got boots, I've got suits, I've got hairnets, all of these disposable things, the same stuff that the service techs wear, the same stuff that the broader managers wear, I wear and I take with me whenever I go to visit farms. Whenever Mm -hmm. I pull off the highway into somebody's driveway, I stop the vehicle, I get my three-gallon sprayer out, I pump it up, I spray down the tires, the undercarriage of that vehicle, just trying to make sure that I do not track something off the highway onto that person's farm. Uh huh. Yeah, because there's a lot, a lot to lose, a lot of yep, risk if there you is. did it. Huh. Well, so I didn't tell you this before, but I'm 
slightly afraid of poultry. (laughs) (laughs) I've been attacked by, well, I guess chased by a rooster and a pet turkey, quote unquote, on an Amish herd in in Kentucky. So can you talk about different, I guess, personalities probably isn't the right word, temperament of well, and, and there is different temperaments. Again, on broiler chickens, you know, broiler chickens are young whenever they're harvested. They're mm-hmm. never going to reach sexual maturity. They are a lot more docile than what, say, hens and roosters in a breeder hen operation will be. Okay. Those things are sexually mature. The roosters on those farms can be very aggressive. Again, mm-hmm. some of it has to do with genetics. Some breeds are more aggressive than others. But folks that grow broiler breeders that have the the hens and the roosters that produce the eggs that are going to become broiler chickens on their farms they know their hens and their roosters and the roosters Mm -hmm. in those houses especially again can be very aggressive you've usually got to watch when you walk through a breeder house just to make sure there's not a rooster coming up behind you that's going to flog you and they're sneaky they are sneaky (laughs) yep and they're pretty quiet until they get close but but when they get close you can hear their feet coming (laughs) if you're listening you know what to look for and you know when to turn around yeah because they they are very aggressive and you do have to be careful and watch those guys if you're on a if you're on a breeder farm not so much on a broiler farm but Mm -hmm. again it has a lot to do with personalities chickens are are not that much different than cows or hogs Mm -hmm. or people People. Everyone is a little bit different, and if, if you can specifically watch one that you know is the same chicken all the time, if it's got a little black speck on it or it's got uh-huh. a little red speck in the feathering, and you can know every time you walk in the house where that chicken is and what that chicken does, if you watch individual chickens that you know for sure you're looking at the same chicken every time, they're just like people. They have different personalities. Some are more timid. Some are more aggressive. There's, there's really not much difference in their personality than the personalities of, of any other animal or even the human population because mm-hmm. everybody is different. Yeah, so the broiler houses is where I need to spend more time then to get over my okay. fear of the yep. whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so on an eating perspective, the end of their lives, um, I guess the can do you? I know you're not a human nutritionist, but can you talk a little bit about the health benefits of eating chicken? Well, in in terms of the health benefits, you know, it's again, it's it's white meat, it's not red meat. You know, I like a good steak as much as anybody else, but uh-huh. I but I probably eat more chicken has has a particular meat protein source than I do anything else. Again, because the health benefits are good, and partially because the price is good. You know, and, and again, uh-huh. it, it kind of depends on what the market for everything else is. You know, right now, this time of the year, November, December, is probably the slow time of year to try to move chicken product because it's the holiday season. Folks are eating hams. Folks are eating turkey. So this is always a slow period of time for the chicken industry because folks are eating something else. But again, biggest part of the year Chicken is a is a very good value in terms of price, and it's a very good value in terms of the nutritional benefits of that. Mm-hmm. And and right now, you know, there has been some problems over the last few months with the export market on chicken, just because there's a lot of tariff trade war stuff uh-huh. going on with some of our trading partners right now. 
But right now, also, there is a lot of trouble with African swine fever in many other parts of the world. You know, it's not here in this country, but especially in China, in Southeast Asia, in Vietnam, where there are a lot of chicken or a lot of pork, rather. A lot of those animals are not there anymore because mm -hmm. African swine fever has wiped out a lot of the hog population in certain parts of the world. If these folks are going to look for a, a alternative meat protein source, Chicken is probably going to be the first thing that those folks are going to look to because, uh -huh. again, its health benefits are there. Its, its price in relation to some other types of meat is good. So the export market may actually begin to open up a little bit just because of the bad luck that a lot of folks in other parts of the world are having because of the African swine fever problem. Yeah, well, that's good for us, but sad, sad overall that that's yes. happening. Yeah, lots of... Uh detriment over there. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and answering all of my questions. I've I've learned a lot, so hopefully everybody else well, has Well, I appreciate too. you having me. And, and again, you know, the, the chicken business is really not rocket science. If, if you're in it and I've been in it for a while, it's, it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. And it's, you know, it's, it's a good value for the farmers that you know, are raising chickens. They're mm -hmm. good at that. It's it's a good payback. And there are a lot of folks raising chickens today that, you know, may not have a college education, mm -hmm. but they may be managing a $2 million, $3 million operation, mm -hmm. and they've gotten very, very good at doing that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and it's a way for, you know, farmers to be able to stay on the farm and, and manage things and have an income stream that lets them you know, raise their family and stay on the farm. And, and not everything is like that these days. Uh -huh. Unfortunately, and we've talked about that, about some other livestock on this podcast, that it's not as uh, profitable right yep, now. Yeah, that's so. what it used to be. Uh huh. Yeah, well, I really appreciate it. And thank you all for tuning into Ag Matters. Um, make sure you like and subscribe and tune in next time. Ag Matters is produced and supported by the Mississippi State University Extension Service. Mm -hmm.